an unprecedented leak by the Supreme Court, and I was in D.C. to watch it happen. Plus, how the overturning of Roe v. Wade could affect Tennessee abortion law. I'm John Fender, along with Gary Humble and Kevin Kukaji. This is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Well, Kevin, last week... I told you you were Wait, doing... why does it always start? Why <laughs> okay, you, see, I... you know, every week the podcast starts with you and Kevin having now, a conversation. But see, I was going to get to that point. I was going to get to that point. <laughs> <Let> him... <laughs> okay. Because I felt bad that Gary had didn't have like a... Like last week it was a whole like we opened up with personal the, the stories. Th- and last do week... I just not have anything interesting do to you, open up you, with? Do you just don't have anything going I'm, on? I'm just the nerdy guy here <laughs> for Tennessee context. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to hear the question. As as a friend of mine used to say, let the birdie up before shooting it down. And John, John barely got it off the launch pad. Well, you, whatever. Uh, Gary hasn't flown, so I can't go. I can't go to him with this one. No, go ahead, birdie up. Yeah, uh, that's right. You flew this up. week, right? Right. So I was going to say last week, you. I told you, you were the only person I knew that had flown without a mask. I have now done the same. Da-ba-da-ba-da. And I can concur with what you said. It was it was beautiful. It was like old times and yeah. everybody was happy. People were talking to each other. Gate agents were amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Now I flew to DC and DC's still there's mm-hmm. still a little craziness going on in DC. Some of the Uber drivers wanted to make us wear masks and we were just like, no. no. And they didn't argue and just drove on. But um, airlines and airport was all great. So, yeah. yeah, That's so good to Happy hear. For you. We got to put Gary in a plane next week. I know. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I need your story. For that purpose. <laughs> I need your story after that. But uh, going along with personal stories, we, I went to D.C. and landed on Monday. You, you were there during a fairly interesting time. <clears throat> I was just mm-hmm. telling Gary this. I landed Monday morning at 10 a.m., Two, three, four hours ish after we landed, uh, we were actually staying in a residence that was a block and a half from the Supreme Court. A couple hours after we landed and got to our townhouse, this leak, this SCOTUS leak happened. And I, I've seen this stuff on television, but I've never watched this happen in person. It was fascinating to watch this city when something like that. Well, to be fair, nothing's like that has ever happened before. But the mobs immediately started forming on the steps of the Supreme Court and the city police and Capitol Hill police immediately went into action and streets were shut down. Barricades went up. It was just fascinating. I mean, I had to get video footage of the whole thing because it was fascinating to watch. And so what does that tell you that it all happened so fast? Yep. Somebody knew it was coming. Well, absolutely. (laughs) I had, I had someone send me, and I'm sure because you were there, you saw these instantaneously. We have signs up all over DC that say, um, Sam Alito wants to kill pregnant women. Pro- professionally printed signs, yeah. by the way. All over the city. Not just posters. Like that. Yeah, just, just simultaneous mobs happened to come up because they were so outraged of, uh, over this uh, leak that they dropped everything they were doing and showed up at the Capitol. Hmm. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of uh, background or insight into this, the Supreme Court, but obviously you've You've been alive longer than I have. You've been involved in the <laughs> thanks for reminding hap- me. happenings well, of. Before we get into the details, though, back to what we were just talking about on how it seemed to be planned and coordinated. Okay. I mean, either either planned and coordinated or tipped off because, again, like you witnessed firsthand, mm-hmm. I mean, it just immediately everything was set up. They're out there with signs, professionally printed signs, you know, doing the thing, completely organized. 
and I we were just talking about this too. None of us have seen two thousand mules yet, but I saw a lot of people posting. It was also interesting that this leak happened in the vein of it being coordinated. Mm-hmm. It happened on the same day that Dinesh D'Souza is releasing this right. movie, 2000 Mules, which is conclusively showing with a preponderance of evidence yeah. all of these people that were stuffing you know, these these boxes full of mail-in ballots. And it just so happens, while that's happening, we're distracted by what's going on with this. Additionally, additionally, didn't Pfizer release a whole bunch yep. of information that about the vaccine? And, and a Pfizer dump. So, yeah. Yeah, so we're it, all over here arguing about arguing about abortion while right. all that's happening over here. Yeah. Yep. So coordination. Again, I've said this before and I'll say it again. People must wake up. Your government is at war against you. The tactics that they're using are tactics of war. And if anybody on our side is just going to sit around and say, wow, what a coincidence, and chase this shiny object and that shiny object, you're going to lose the war. Mm. We need to put that video back out. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast, Kevin, this was like a year and a half ago. Yeah, it was December of 2020. When we were still in the thralls Mm -hmm. of the response. Before the vaccine came out, by the way. Yep. Kevin had written, not written, well, written, but he'd also recorded this three-minute just hint, just audio on his phone that he sent to us of this thing he had written of, of called the illusion of control and how he had explained um, his perception of everything that was going on around us. And I, the way he stated it to me was just so concise and profound. So if you go to Rumble, go to rumble.com. And I think if you just put rumble.com slash Tennessee stands, we have a video on there called The Illusion of Control. And we put together a video representation with Kevin's audio of how he had described what he saw as an illusion of control. So go to go to rumble.com slash Tennessee stands. Look up a video called Illusion of Control. I promise you, you'll enjoy it and you'll want to share it. It's pretty powerful. Thank you. And thanks for putting the video together because that that does, that completed it. Yeah. Uh, But I just want to hear, I kind of want to hear what you guys have to say. I've heard both sides, obviously, the the left is coming unhinged, like, which is kind of entertaining to watch. They're they're losing their minds. And then the right side of things, like with Newsmax and those sort of outlets are obviously giving their opinion on things. But I want to hear from you guys, like, how substantial is what just happened and where does this leave us as a country right now and moving forward with, with it, if this holds up and goes forward? Well, I think, let's talk about the leak first. There's never been a leak of a Supreme Court opinion, even dra- in draft form, prior to its coming out. Right. That it happens shows you where we are as a country and shows you, again, war tactics, that the left will do anything. They will throw away tradition, confidentiality, they will cut off the legs of anybody, friend or foe, to take their advantage and to take the position. So the fact that someone leaked, and, and it had to be coordinated, it can't just be one person, someone leaked, and whether it was a justice, whether it was someone who was clerking for a justice, a friend of a clerk, there had to be some coordination. That part is the most damaging to us as a nation. So, so you're under the belief that this was a left-leaning well, Person when you when, or, you when you say left leaning, I would also include, by the way, John Roberts. I don't, I don't put it past John Roberts that whether he had his fingerprints on this, that he isn't 
enjoying this process because he was not on the draft majority. We know that he's been compromised through the other decisions that he has made over the last four or five years. And well, going back to Obamacare, so really 10, when was it, 2010, 11? So it's been over a decade. 2010. Mm-hmm. So we know that John Roberts is definitely compromised because he always finds a way to vote for the left position. And he's he's chief justice, He's chief, chief justice. Yeah. Okay. So I, my view, John and Gary, is that with respect to all of this hullabaloo about John Roberts coming out and saying, we must stop this uh, invasion of our privacy, confidentiality, this is this is unheard of. Yes, I understand that he's doing that, and I do agree with him, but I think that's all a cover. I think that he is more than happy that this has happened. That's just my opinion, but my view is based upon his work over the last 10 years, 12 years, that he is more than pleased that this has happened. And why, why would he be happy with that? Like, what, what are his reasons? Because he doesn't believe that abortion should be terminated. <laughs> Interesting. That abortion should be terminated, Term- in other words. Yeah. The, right wow. to, the right to kill your baby. He agrees with the left, just as he's been with Obamacare. So, but I guess my question Obergefell. is, like, why is he happy watching what, what's happening? Because he didn't— Is he just one of those He doesn't want to like, lose the issue. He was in the minority. He didn't sign— So he thinks by leaking it, that's going to— I think there's a number of things that he thinks can happen. One, if he's in any way behind this— He or, or the kind like-minded. Of, yeah. They hoped either to intimidate the other justices, directly or indirectly, to change their minds. And if they can't achieve that, they hope that Congress will now pass legislation effectively neutering mm-hmm. this decision okay. in advance of it coming out. So by the time it comes out, Congress will have already acted and set forth a universal principle across the country that says abortion is a which, right. Which, by the way, would be an absolutely unconstitutional act of Congress to pass a law by which they have no constitutional ability to enforce. But what's interesting is the Supreme Court. And what would the Supreme Court say about that? Well, Alito said in this draft opinion, wherever it is in the process of being finished, because it was written in February, this draft opinion made specific reference to Congress. The legislative body is the, they are the ones to decide these things, not the court. I think it's interesting that he said that it was leaked and now Congress has the left side of Congress has the momentum and, and initiative now to say, aha, therefore we must pass this legislation. I want to clarify that. You would think I would have. I have not read the draft opinion. Are you saying that in the draft opinion, Alito hearkened to the fact that, did he state it in such a way that he felt that it would be appropriate for Congress to address this issue? I must also clarify that I read excerpts of the opinion, okay. of the draft opinion. So mm-hmm. I didn't read the whole opinion. But the excerpts that I read, and I read them, what was that, Monday night it came out? Mm-hmm. He did make mention, as as the judiciary frequently does, when they're deciding something, they say, this isn't under our purview. This is a legislative decision. And Congress has not acted. Therefore, we can't create a right of abortion that does, that never exists. So I find it interesting because the timing of that it would be stunning, right? You get a draft opinion, which, by the way, if you've listened to Supreme Court justices talk about how that process works, I've been in seminars with um, when Scalia was alive. I heard him speak about this. Um, I've heard Alito talk about this in a small room. Um, I've heard uh, Thomas talk about this because people always ask the question, how does it work? 
when there's arguments, when, when, you, when you decide to take a case, right, grant uh, writ of certiary, it's called, the, <laughs> the judges say it's really simple. They sit around in a circle and they all give thumbs up or thumbs down on, you know, whether they're going to go with it. And then they know right there whether it's going to be a win or lose for the issue. And then it's a matter of who is writing the opinions, who's doing the dissent, who's signing on to which dissents. But the decision is made right there, right then and there so, after oral arguments. So typically the decision is made before an opinion is written. Oh, yeah, long okay. before. And then, it's, and then it's justifying opinion. That's according to all the Supreme Court justices that I've heard explain the process. That's all they're able to talk about. Which right? would insinuate that when, when this was written in February, a decision would already been made. Yes. And so whether this is the final draft or not, what we do know is where these justices and, – and I don't think anybody debates that that's true – I think the question is, where is the intimidation going to be most effective? Is it, are they going to intimidate these justices? Are they going to intimidate legislators into into changing the laws to circumvent what the what the ruling is, or are they going to now seek to pack the courts, which is the third thing that um, the left hopes to accomplish through this? It's also funny that we had our president. I think it was yesterday come on t- television and say that the the quote unquote MAGA crowd. It was the most dangerous organized group of people in American mm. history. Didn't he mention something about ultra MAGA? Uh, maybe he, he said he said probably he said something about ultra MAGA. So what yeah. I find ironic to that is that you now have this left side that is literally leaking information about where these justices live, mm-hmm. personally live, yep. their addresses to go intimidate them and. Yeah. So, yeah, this is this is what well, Marxists do. And and I guess one more thing we need to address is that they're fomenting violence on purpose. If they can't get their way through the court, they seek legislature. If they can't get their way through the legislature and they can't pack the court, they're going to foment the same kind of violence that we saw two years ago. And now, that's going to be a form of intimidation. If in Alito's opinion, he writes that it's up to Congress to do this, does that imply that Congress would have to come into a special session to do that? Well, they're no, they're all they're, they're always in session. Yeah, I mean, base. I mean, basically, yeah, they're they're, they're there. Very on, short are they on breaks. recess? Yeah, in oh, August I see. Okay. or December. Right. It's not. Like they're, they're they are they are a full time legislature. They're not a part time legislature like we have in Tennessee. No, they, they have recess, but they do have recess. But they don't yeah. go out of session because they were they were not. Everyone kept saying they were not quote in session while we were there. Yeah. So one thing you know, the reason I said that is because I'm hoping. Or my hope would be that, as this is the draft, that in the final version of this opinion, that they wouldn't have hearkened to the fact that – so that's correct that this is outside of the jurisdiction of the court. Making the quote-unquote law of the land would correctly be in the jurisdiction of Congress. But my hope would be is that they would clearly state that the opinion of the court, should Congress attempt to make this sort of law, is that these types of powers – have not been enumerated to the federal government, period, and that they would solidify in this decision that it, it is the opinion of the court that abortion or, or regulating this, you know, regulating anything health-related or family-related belongs in the jurisdiction of the state, period. Those powers have never been enumerated by the Constitution to the federal government, meaning 
even if Congress wanted to make a law, it would be unconstitutional for it to do so. Isn't that a— isn't This that belongs a, to the states. Isn't that a sticky—so you just referenced it as falling into the category of health and family, which is a lot of the left's argument. I mean, e- e- well, either way. I mean, it would either be—you would have to regulate this either as a, as a health concern or a family concern or, I mean, you could—if you— can, uh, can this not just be a murder concern? Well, yeah. If you went, if you went, <laughs> sure. If you should went, be. if you went to the most rudimentary understanding of what of how we should be thinking about this, is that the baby inside the womb is a person, right, deserving of its constitutional protections of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Um. So absolutely, the the Constitution should be protecting. You know, according to common law, what, what William Blackstone hearkened to in the 1700s, the, the Latin term as the English, uh, which, which, by the way, common law is, is how we derived our law here in America and the mm-hmm. basis of our Constitution. William Blackstone looked at um, life. He, he, he mentioned inventress semir, which means, you know, in the womb, the, the mm. stirring in the womb, life in the womb. So even common law prior to the Constitution uh, protected life in the womb. In fact, per common law, that baby had property rights. It had inheritance rights. That that baby in the womb had property claims. It had all the same rights that a That's breathing. Right. That's right. So, you know, really at the end of the day that the Constitution, we should be recognizing, but that that's a... That's a larger conversation of, of our general populace understanding from a God-given perspective that this life is God-breathed and God-given. So, But if I'm thinking about this just in humanistic terms, you know, when you look at this as a, as a health care issue or a family issue, outside of life itself, even if you look at it that way, which is how the left views it. Right, that's, yeah. You know, the the, the the left views this as a reproductive health care rights issue. Health care and right. health care rights for women. Well, even if you look at it that way, your problem still is that the Constitution has not delegated any authority to the federal government to regulate health care. Even that has been left to the states. So per the 10th Amendment, that's why I, I would hope that all the way around Alito, that the, the majority opinion would state, not only does the court not have a jurisdiction here, but this is not a federal issue. This is a state's <clears throat> issue. The state is responsible, number one, to regulate health care and family issues. But number two, the state also has a responsibility to protect the life of its citizens, yeah. the, even the life in Ventra Samir in the womb. Yeah. So here's the quote. As you were saying that, I pulled it up. Again, this is a quote, so it's an excerpt from the 67-page opinion. Alito says, it is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. Without context, I don't know whether he's talking about Could be federal or state. Yeah. yeah, And then he goes on to say, the permissibility of abortion and the limitations upon it are to be resolved like most important questions in our democracy. I hate that he says in our democracy. Not a it's democracy. A <laughs> By citizens, Alito! I, that doesn't even sound like Alito. <laughs> By citizens trying to persuade one another and then voting. Yeah, so he's not 
delineating between whether or not he feels this is a federal or a state issue. At least not in those excerpts, but yeah. he may have in a, yeah. in a footnote mm. that's 100 miles long. Yeah, and this, the opinion was from – the draft opinion was like 98 pages or something 67. like that. 67. Oh, 67. But it had, but it had an index that was Where another – world did I get 98? Well, the index was another 21 pages, I think. Hang 67 on. feels like 98. <laughs> Um, I, I heard night. I saw I read ninety something somewhere, and I think that included it must include the index. Hang yes, on. Yeah. yes, you're exactly right, Gary. Sixty-seven page opinion and a thirty-one page appendix. Wow, sixty-seven plus thirty-one equals ninety-eight. <laughs> I knew I, I knew I saw ninety-eight somewhere. <laughs> uh, well, before we get to like where this takes Tennessee, if this actually stands and goes into effect, what does this make our country look like? As a whole, I mean, you're just going to have your, you know, your standards. You're going to have your California and you're going to have your New York. We're just going to be like, okay, well, we're an open state. We're a sanctuary state for abortions now. How does that, in your guys' opinion, how does that affect the ongoing statuses of different states? And what does our country look like after this happens, if it happens? Well, I think it further divides us. (laughs) Certainly. It's not the opinion. Let me be clear about that. It's not the opinion that divides us. That's what the left will say. The left has divided us by trying to make murder legal. Right. The fact that some states would continue to advance the belief, false as it is, that murder is legal, will assure even stricter boundaries, literal and virtual, between the states that are free and the states that will allow the killing of a baby. Hmm. Yeah, and, you know, again, to make sure that people understand— Overturning Roe, you know, because I think I do think a lot of folks are really confused on this. Roe v. Wade did not ever legalize abortion technically. It only took away the ability from the states to regulate abortion. I believe Roe v. Wade stated that you could not regulate abortion in the third trimester. And then Planned Parenthood v. Casey brought in the issue of viability. It, it added the notion of, well, you can't you can't regulate abortion beyond viability, and viability has always <laughs> been a very arbitrary measure, you know? And so, uh, legally, viability now, in, in terms of current modern science, is roughly somewhere around 21 weeks-ish, which is determined to be when a baby could survive outside of the womb. And that's been the the arbitrary nature of this law. Um, Casey, by the way, was twenty four weeks, but oh, was well, but Not but was, I know you weren't making that point, but that was Casey's. But, but what the but what has been held though, as science has quote unquote progressed, it's averaged around twenty one weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's been an interesting standard because it's always a moving target. So are you saying Roe Ro v. Wade? sustains that standard? No, well, Roe v. Wade, what I'm saying is it simply restricted the states from regulating abortion beyond a certain point. So when you overturn Roe v. Wade, what's effectively going to happen is the Supreme Court is saying we're getting out of the business of abortion as as the federal government, and we're allowing the states to regulate abortion in whatever way they so choose. So in Tennessee, which we'll get to in a minute, abortion will be flat out illegal. Mm-hmm. But in California, you'll still be able to abort your baby up to birth. And in New York, I suppose, you'll be able to kill your baby after on the birth. table after yeah. birth. So, you know, unfortunately, 
it's important that people understand this this is not outlawing abortion in the country. This is simply completely returning it to the states. So states like California and New York are going to be abortion central. Okay. And I don't know exactly how all of that's going to play out as to whether or not citizens I'm assuming what's going to happen is citizens virtually of any state, I'm going to assume, is going to be able to travel to California or New York and get an abortion or any other state that chooses to allow abortion up to any particular period. In Tennessee, no licensed physician will be able to perform an abortion in the state of Tennessee. So essentially, I'm I'm standing in Washington, D.C. on the steps of the Supreme Court, and I'm watching this, which to me wasn't as large of a number as I thought would be out there. I mean, this is a pretty historical event, and I thought there would be thousands of people out there upset, but there was really only a couple hundred. But they're they're losing their minds over the fact that women are losing their reproductive rights and the, mm-hmm. there's no right to abortion anymore and blah, blah, blah. Essentially, they're just misunderstanding what's going on right now. Yes. It's well, a, they don't, it's, they, they, I don't think they ever seek to understand anything, but, but the fact is— It's always a rash reaction. Yeah. The Supreme Court is simply saying this is no longer a federal issue. It's a state issue. Some states are going to allow you to kill your baby, and some states and won't. And if you want to kill your baby, go to that state. Go to that state, essentially. So that brings us to Tennessee. Yep. I just want to say one more thing. You know, I used to I was I used to work for an organization here in Tennessee called the Family Action Council of Tennessee. And that organization is essentially the family, the focus on the family uh, of Tennessee. Tennessee version, right? Okay. So we dealt with abortion and marriage <clears throat> and all those ty- types of things. And and I guess on a larger perspective, it's very interesting to me that the Supreme Court chose and I've got to look into this and because I really want to understand the why. Why the Supreme Court chose the, the Dobbs v. Jackson Mississippi case to be the case, the seminal case that it would choose to overturn Roe v. Wade. Because Dobbs v. Jackson was, was predicated on Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban. So I – on that notion, I don't understand how we got here because – that's always been the problem with overturning Roe v. Wade with these heartbeat bills and these different laws is that what the court has always held – and I'm just putting out this for our listeners to sort of think about. Mm-hmm. This is getting a little nerdy here. But what the court has always held in all of these heartbeat bills, whether it be a six-week ban, a 15-week ban, an 18-week ban, an eight, a nine-week ban, whatever. Explain what a heartbeat bill like, – well, why heart, is it called a heartbeat well, bill? Our, well, and this is not a – but a heartbeat bill is basically, you know, whenever – you do a sonogram and you can hear a heartbeat, you can't have an abortion. Okay. There's a life there. That's a heartbeat bill. But heartbeat bills have then been – they still call them heartbeat bills, which strangely enough. But they've been in, determined by weeks. So Mississippi's law was a 15-week ban. They passed a law saying if – you know after 15 weeks, you can't get an abortion. Right. Okay. Well, when the Supreme Court – has looked at those cases or they have refused to look at those cases in terms of Roe v. Wade because all of those assignments are still arbitrary points. You know, you might say 13 weeks, you say 16 weeks, you say 18 weeks. Well, if you get to assign an arbitrary point, why doesn't the court get to decide an arbitrary point? Mm. It's, it's always been considered an arbitrary nature of law and you're arguing the court's ruling on O.V. Wade in an arbitrary nature. So you're either— what, 
But that's what Leto's point is. He's saying we shouldn't be, we're not the ones to make those decisions. Remember, as you pointed out earlier in this podcast, it was never about the court regulating the abortion. It was the court telling states whether they could regulate it or not. Right. And so what you're saying concurs and agrees with and and kind of fleshes out Alito's point. I I don't know why Mississippi was chosen. Because these laws have been in existence for a long time. Mm -hmm. But, But Alito's finally saying, and the majority, should they stick, is saying the states do have the right to regulate. So if Mississippi wants to say no abortions after 15 weeks, we cannot prevent them from doing that. So it was thought, though, by many that in order to overturn Roe v. Wade, you had to bring a new argument to the court. You had to to argue personhood. You had to argue something else besides this arbitrary point of when you can or cannot abort. So I'm, I'm just saying it's interesting to me that the court decided to overturn Roe v. Wade, apparently, per the draft opinion, based on a 15-week abortion ban from Mississippi because these things have been brought before the court on several occasions. So I just find that interesting. Why this case? Why now? And I I don't know. Hmm. So Tennessee, here's what Tennesseans need to know. If indeed the court's final ruling is that Roe v. Wade is overturned, we will fully enact two things in our state. Number one is a constitutional provision, which I believe, Kevin, do you remember? Was this 2015? This was like yes on Amendment 1. There was a big campaign for this. Or was that marriage? I can't remember oh, when gosh. this was added. Because I wasn't here for this. Well, wait, this. Yes, yes on one had to be part of a governor's That's Those are always voted on during a governor's race. So that would have been 2018 Yeah, that it actually was became official. You're right. The, the process all leading You're up right. to that. You're right. It's always a gubernatorial before, race. But You're it's right. a gubernatorial race. Well, that, that wasn't 2018 because I was here so for that. So then it would have been 2014. Okay. Has it been that long already? Yeah, must have been. Holy cow. Time flies when you're having fun. Or when you're fighting. <laughs> So, well, well, it would have been voted on in 14 and officially enacted. That's what I'm saying. In 15, I guess. Oh, so, so yes. it was the 2014 gubernatorial race. So it during Haslam administration, when yeah. that became, yeah, it's just, yeah, time does fly. I'm, ge- I'm guessing that's when it was. I, I think so. Well, somebody will correct us because yeah. you can easily look that up online. Well, yeah. so, so Article 1, Section 36 of our Tennessee State Constitution says... Nothing in this Constitution secures or protects a right to abortion or requires the funding of an abortion. The people retain the right through their elected state representatives and state senators to enact, amend, or repeal statutes regarding abortion, including, but not limited to, circumstances of pregnancy resulting from rape, incest, or when necessary to save the life of the mother. So per the Tennessee Constitution, Article 1, Section 36, what we're saying as a people is, number one, you have no right to an abortion as a citizen in this state, period. You, you, you claim no legal right to an abortion. Two, we're saying that as people, we have the right to direct our legislature to regulate abortion in any way we see fit, all the way up to even if it affects the life of the mother. So even if it affects the life of the mother— we're saying our legislature can still outlaw abortion, okay? Um, so in all cases, we have the right to regulate abortion. So that's our constitution. 
The second thing that Tennesseans need to know is— You mean is, like how a rep- republic should actually work. That's, that's right. Yeah, right. Okay. We, we've, we've acknowledged in Tennessee that we that the United States is a republic <laughs> and that the sovereign state of Tennessee has determined we have the right to regulate that which the federal government has no right to right. regulate per the Tenth Amendment. Right. Thank you. That's what okay. we're saying. Okay. So that's our constitution. All right. The, the second thing that Tennesseans need to know is that in 2019— we passed Senate Bill 1257, sponsored by Senator, then-Senator uh, Dolores Gresham, and House Bill 1029 by Representative Susan Lynn. And that is what we call the Trigger Bill. That was the Human Life Protection Act. And that bill stated such that Section 3, Subsection 1, Upon the issuance of the judgment in any decision of the United States Supreme Court, which overrules in whole or in part Roe v. Wade, as modified by Planned Parenthood v. Casey, thereby restoring to the states their authority to prohibit abortion or adoption of an amendment to the United States Constitution, which in whole or in part restores to the states, their authority to prohibit abortion. So what this bill said is, if and when the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, or if we ever amend our United States Constitution to clarify that this is a state's issue, this trigger bill would be in full effect. Which means, if the Supreme Court indeed overturns Roe v. Uh, Wade, here's what this bill says. Remind me, when was this written? When was this bill introduced? 2019. Okay. Subsection B states... A person who performs or attempts to perform an abortion commits the offense of criminal abortion. Criminal abortion is a Class C felony. Abortion, per this bill, is defined as means the use of any instrument, medicine, drug, or any other substance or device with intent to terminate the pregnancy of a woman known to be pregnant with intent other than to increase the probability of a live birth to preserve the life or health of the child after live birth or to remove a dead fetus. So regardless of incest, rape, any other situation, what we're saying in Tennessee is if the Supreme Court ever overturns Roe v. Wade, Abortion is illegal in the state of Tennessee, and it is a Class C felony. For, didn't it say licensed physician somewhere in that legislation? Yeah, yeah. The abortion was performed or attempted by a licensed physician. Or two, the physician determined that in his good faith and medical judgment based upon the facts, that the abortion was necessary to prevent the death of a pregnant woman. So if if it's to prevent the death of a pregnant woman, it's, it's legal. Otherwise you're committing a Class C felony in the state of Tennessee. Yeah, so the burden is on the abortion providers, which is always where it should be. Not the mother. I mean, that's a, that's a discussion for a different day. I actually read a, a really interesting debate on that position, but it's too much to get into here. Well, I think I, I was going to ask the same question, so maybe it is too much to get into. But Abortion is illegal in, in the state of Tennessee if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. Oh. Yeah. I think the question I was going to get into is who goes to jail for it if it happens. Per reading section 2, subsection E, this section does not subject the pregnant woman 
upon whom an abortion is performed or attempted to criminal conviction or penalty. Gotcha. So no criminal she, penalty she to the woman. basically not an, ac- an accessory to mur- murder. That's right. This is, the, this is on the person performing the abortion. Now, I understand why the legislation is drafted that way, but why, why do we make that distinction? I don't know. That's what, I mean, that's the question I was going to ask. Like that, I saw that asked. I actually saw that asked on like a, it was NBC or something. It was a mainstream media mm-hmm. channel. And the host was actually asking a pro-lifer that he had on that question exactly. And I, I thought that's actually a really darn good question. And I don't know how to answer that one. Cause yeah, because we see, she's making a legitimate choice to it, kill her baby. Right. If we, if we don't, again, I'm, I'm not sitting here today Nobody misunderstand. We're not trying to advocate punish the mother right now. No. But the question is legitimate. If we're saying that abortion is murder, are we saying the mother who kills her own child is innocent of that murder? I don't know. That's a hard that, question to that's answer. That's what this law says. I know the law says. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just asking the bigger should, philosophical should, question. It's should a bare, we say that? Yeah, yeah. it's a bigger it's, moral. It's, it's always what... Our side of the equation, the pro-life movement has always said, oh, no, 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 it's not the mother's fault. I don't know if that's intellectually or philosophically consistent. Yeah. So but that's why I say it. it's a question for another right, episode. Sure. We'll take too much time today. As I always do with my videos in Tennessee stands, let me give you the little, my concern with the bill. I'm just going to read this and mm-hmm. you say you comment, okay? Okay. Subsection D says the following. After we've said abortion is illegal, okay? Uh-oh. Are you going <laughs> to give us like this big... <laughs> I'm just... But it doesn't count uh, just... past 2023, is that it? <laughs> it expires. <laughs> it no. expires. Here's the hook. <laughs> 2023. Subsection D. Medical treatment provided to the pregnant woman by a licensed physician, which results in the accidental death of uh, or unintentional injury to or death of the unborn child shall not be a violation of this section. So this is so that's a backdoor just for oops, I didn't know. I didn't mean to. We yeah. were doing this other procedure. But I didn't mean to. And do I it. accidentally killed the baby. Yep. That's where all of the litigation is going to be. Yes. It was an accidental killing. I gave Well, I mean, yeah, I that sure. That's a backdoor. But at the end of the day, like I think that's still strong enough legislation for a doctor, most doctors, to be scared out of their mind, actually. Any licensed physician to attempt to accidentally kill a baby would be an absolutely complete moron. Yes. Yes. No, I agree. I I think the legislation is strong. Yes, agreed. The fact that that... I'm just just putting it out there. (laughs) There's always... Just Gary being Gary. I'm just putting it out there. (laughs) Is there any legislation that we pass where we don't get to the end of it and say, but we really didn't mean 90% of what we just said in the top part of the bill. I mean, we want to, we want to enforce the law, but we also want to give you some sort of speculative out if you end up in court. Yeah. Yeah, well. Well, look, I, I'm hopeful. I mean, I think the bottom line here is Tennessee right now, our laws and our constitution is structured in such a way that you could certainly infer that should the Supreme Court overturn Roe v. Wade, we're done with abortion here in the state of Tennessee. Isn't it like th- and I uh, think it's fantastic. Thirteen states that it e- is the same same situation immediately becomes. You know, I don't know. I think it's thirteen. I don't know that count. 
Someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I saw yeah, that. Yeah, someone stat. look it up. I thought it was a little bigger, but certainly in California, what, what we can say with a definitive answer is in California and New York, there'll be abortions plenty. I, yes, Illinois. Yeah, can include in that list. People mm. from the entire country will now be going to those states to get their abortions. Which it's, is sad. Uh, it's going to be quite Man. an industry. It's mm. a, it's a horrible thing to even think about and consider. Hmm. Yep. Well, maybe. Uh, on a lighter note, maybe next week Gary can have a personal story. I'll 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 throw it to you are first. You, are we starting out next week with something from me? <laughs> yeah, if you yeah, want to. I just man. I got to. But it has I've got to get ready. That's right. <laughs> You've got a week to prepare. I got to know. I got to know if there's I'm something. I'm kind of a there boring to... guy, so I've got to like. I've really got to. I've got to nah, prepare you, for this. You can come up with something. <laughs> I'm, a, so I'm, th- I'm throwing it to you next week. There's a party hat there. You <laughs> should put that yeah, on. And... You, that's for Joe. That's for Joe Rogan. When oh, he, when he that's shows Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. Because his invite's always open. That's for him when he shows up. So. I wonder what he'd think about this. Is he talking about the Supreme Court I haven't decision? seen him I'm sure talk about did. this yet. Really? Yeah, I, I, I listened to his shows, and uh, there was a new one that just came out, so maybe, maybe that on, one Joe. touches on it, but I'll have to listen. We'll see what happens. Interesting. All right. But make your invitation to him. I just did. It's always an open invite. <laughs> I, I got a party hat waiting on him. <laughs> All right. Till next week, guys. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. And remember, as revolutionary Thomas Paine once stated, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it.